If you would remain standing in honor of God's word, Psalm 23, as we continue with our series, The Greatest, the greatest is not Jordan, it's not LeBron, it is Jesus Christ, who David talks about in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1, we all know it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today I want to circle back to four words that Pastor Ronald began to reveal to us. And didn't he do a great job last week? How many of you enjoyed Pastor Ronald's ministry? I'll tell you, people ask me all the time, Pastor, you got so many great preachers around here, man. That don't make that nervous. No, it makes me proud. I love it when God brings a great team around us. And he did an amazing, an amazing job. Anyway, I want to circle back to those four words that he preached on. I shall not want. That is the title of my message today. Four words that are filled with so much spiritual depth that if we understand them, they are a word to our soul all by themselves. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We know that he is our teacher, our leader, and guider into all truth. And we pray right now for his anointing to touch every heart here at every one of our campuses to our faith tribe online and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. For those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, you know by now that this psalm is a special one. Matter of fact, it is the greatest uh, known of all the psalms, perhaps the greatest psalm all by itself. It's David's boast in the greatness of of God as he looks back on what God has brought him through and what brought God has brought him from, from overlooked shepherd boy to overcoming king of Israel. Unless we get it twisted, it is not David's boast in the greatness of God simply because of all of the promises and all of the promotions that he has experienced in his life, but it's also David's boast because of what God has done for him in times of paralyzing pain. And when you understand that David is thanking God for everything that he's done in his life, you kind of remember what we used to say in old church. You remember this? God is good and all the time. That means in good times and bad times. That means that when everything is going great and when everything is going wrong. And David's psalm right here, this boast in God, is really a collaboration of all of that. It is him looking back on his life and saying, God, you were good there. You were good there. You were good there. You were good there. And some of the things that David was pointing out, nobody would have thought. He would have said God was good in. Matter of fact, you remember David lost three children and yet he's still in looking back on it says, God, you are just so good. And to get a better grasp on how David starts the psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. These words are really the backdrop for understanding I shall not want. To understand what he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I want to flip that and I want you to hear it a different way. My shepherd is the Lord. My shepherd is the Lord. Say, Pastor, why, why is that any different? Well, let me let you hear it another way. My father is the president of the United States. My mother 
is the CEO of a company. My uncle owns an airline. My child is a doctor. My child is an engineer. My father is a billionaire. My father is head of the stock exchange. My mother is the greatest woman on the planet. My shepherd is the Lord, the one watching over me, the one guiding me, the one caring for me, the one protecting me, the one providing for me is the Lord, the creator of the universe, the great I am who never changes, the God who is responsible for everything we see. My shepherd is the Lord. David begins with this boast in God. And as he boasts upon God, he's really saying something to us. By calling God his shepherd, isn't David in essence saying, I'm a sheep? Now, you have to understand when David, by by inference, calls himself a sheep, and by the way, God calls us that all the time, this is really not a brag. This is not very flattering. If you know anything about sheep, first of all, it would be like you and I saying, "Um, I'm really dumb. Because sheep are dumb. Have you ever met a sheep trainer? Have you ever seen a sheep do tricks? Has anyone ever watched a sheep roll over? Matter of fact, you can't because if a sheep rolls over, it can't get back on its legs again unless the shepherd comes over and helps the sheep to get back up again. Sheep are really, really dumb. Calling himself a sheep would be like us saying, I am defenseless. Because how many of you know sheep have no fangs? They have no claws. They can't bite you. And they certainly can't outrun you. Without a shepherd, they are sitting ducks for all of the predators that are lurking about. Interestingly enough, God says in Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, Behold, I send you out a sheep amongst wolves. I'm like, come again, God? Wait a second, wait a second. I'm dumb. I'm defenseless because I can't run fast and I've got no fangs and no claws and, 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 and wolves are predators of sheep and, and you're just, just, just like that as a sheep among wolves. What are you talking about? And why would you do that? The only reason why God can do that is if he understands that that sheep that's going out amongst wolves has a shepherd who is the Lord, has somebody who is watching over him, has somebody who is watching over her, has somebody who is protecting and providing that is mightier than anything that lurks out there. But calling himself a sheep is like saying, I am defiant. Because one of the other things you should know about sheep is that that's exactly what they are. They're, they naturally want to stray. They naturally go their own way. Matter of fact, some sheep are known as fence crawlers. And what that literally means is though, even though they might have a green pasture, even though they may have everything they want in where their shepherd puts them, they're always going to the outskirts of the fence and trying to get under the fence or around the fence because they think the grass is greener on the other side. Sheep are defiant. They naturally don't do what they're told to do. And yet the Bible tells us about us, Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Can anybody say amen? We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us on him. Isn't that us, though, defiant, obstinate, sufferers of Frank Sinatra syndrome? We like to do it our way. All we needed to do was apologize, but we argued. All we needed to do was listen, but we opened our big mouth. 
All we needed to do was be patient, and yet we had to take control. All we needed to do was give it to God, but we had to fix it ourselves. In general, I think it is a good description to call us sheep because human nature is stubborn and obstinate and defiant. So at first blush, David's acknowledgement of God as shepherd and the consequence, consequent inference of him, therefore, being a sheep is not exactly something to be proud of. To call God a shepherd and I'm a sheep. So what is he saying? Here's what he's saying. Even though I have been dumb watching Bathsheba bathe and then calling her to my crib. Even though I have been defenseless going out against Goliath, a giant with a slingshot and five smooth stones. Even though I've been defiant after sleeping with Bathsheba, calling her husband in and putting him on the front lines and killing my best friend. Even though I have been dumb and defenseless and defiant, I am God's sheep. I'm God's chosen. I'm the one God paid for. For I've been bought with a price. I'm the one that he leaves the 99 when I wandered off and comes after me for. I'm the one that he shed his blood for. I'm the one that he gave his life for. And like Isaiah said, even though we go our own way, instead of punishing us, he has laid the iniquity of us all on him. I am God's defenseless, dumb, defiant apple of his eye. The Lord is my shepherd. David is saying something that is powerful. But David is even going deeper. He is saying by calling himself a sheep, I am dependent. See, anyone knows that the state of any sheep is dependent upon the shepherd. Whether they are clean, well-fed, watered, safe, or dirty, malnourished, thirsty, and in harm's way is totally dependent upon the care of of the shepherd. And so here we have this shepherd king, David, who has quite a resume, by the way. He killed a giant. Matter of fact, if you read on, uh, David killed Goliath's brothers after he killed the giant. They sang about David. They said Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. He had a resume as a warrior. And so this giant killing warrior, this shepherd king, by calling God a shepherd, is saying, interestingly enough, I am dependent. Because he's telling us that he really did need somebody to rescue him from his sin when he slept with Bathsheba. He needed somebody to protect him and empower him when he went out defenseless against Goliath with that slingshot and those five smooth stones. He needed somebody who could tell him there was still hope when defiantly he killed his best friend because he slept with his his wife. I need somebody, David is saying, to visit me when I've made my own bed in hell. I needed somebody to let me know there was still hope. I needed somebody to keep picking me up. I needed somebody to keep pouring into me. I needed somebody to give me wisdom. David is saying, when you look, you sing about David. But you ought to be singing about God. Because if you only knew what God knew about me, that had it not been for the Lord, where would I be? Where would I be? David is saying, I am dependent. Dependent. By the way, you missed a good place to give God praise. And because David said, my shepherd is the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Now he says, because of that, I shall not want. What is David 
saying? What does he mean? Well, superficially, he means, I shall lack nothing. And that is very, very superficial. Because that's like what I call the scratch and sniff approach to the Bible. You ever see those in the magazine? You scratch and you sniff and you smell something. You know, that's like the, the easy takeaway from the text. But how many of you know sometimes if you want gold, you've got to mine for it, right? And so when we look at this, we come away with, I shall not want. That means that I'll, I'll lack nothing. And, and that is true about the shepherd. Here, it does mean Psalm 37, verse 25, what David said, I've been young, I've been old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. It does mean that. It does mean, Psalm 84, verse 11, for the Lord, God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It does mean that. It does mean Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It does mean shall lack nothing. It does mean shall be provided for in not just any way, but in a standard according to his riches in glory. In other words, God doesn't provide for us based on our standard of provision. God provides for us based on his standard of provision. And he's got a mighty high standard. And I could really talk about that. I could camp out. I could, I could preach on good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. I could talk about him opening up the windows of heaven and pouring us out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. I can talk about the reaper overtaking the sower. I could talk about the wealth of the sinner being laid up for the just. I could talk about the fact that he daily loads us with benefits. I could preach, but that's been preached. We know all about that. And we love that, and we thank God for it. But that is a superficial understanding of David's words. It's not his focus when he says the four words, I shall not want. David's intention is both a declaration of who God is and a decision that he has come to. It's more than a superficial look at the blessing of God Rather, it is a supernatural peak at God himself being the blessing. Let me say it again. Rewind. It is more than just a superficial look at the blessings that God wants to give David, and we thank God for those. But it is a supernatural peak at God himself being the blessing. What David is basically saying is when I realize or when I came to the realization of what I had in the Lord. For us, when we come to the realization of what we have in the Lord, David is saying, I am now making a decision based on my understanding that my shepherd is the Lord, that I will not desire anything more than him. I shall not want. It is both declaration of the provision of God and decision of how David is going to live his life. I'm not going to chase after anything in life harder than I chase after God. This is serious, serious theology. This psalm would better read, my shepherd, my guider, my provider, my protector, my leader, my lover, my forgiver, my carer, my giver, my defender, 
is the Lord, the unchanging creator of the universe and everything good that is in it. Therefore, I have decided not to desire anything more than him. One little girl, she was mistakenly trying to quote Psalm 23, and she she stumbled upon a truth. She said it like this, the Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. She, bam, she hit the nail on the head. She, she wasn't quoting it the way it was written, but she was quoting it the way it was intended. When we realize what we have in Jesus, he should be all we want. We used to sing a song, draw me close to you, never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that you're my, I'm your friend. You're my desire. No one else will do because nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find the way. Bring me back to you. And then the chorus, you're all I want. You're all I ever needed. You're all I want. Help me to know that you are near. This is the essence of what David is saying. He's saying as I look back on life, as I look back on everything I didn't have, and everything I wanted and everything that I do now have, everything pales in comparison to who I have. And that is Jesus. And that is the Lord as my shepherd. And so David is revealing to us the secret for how to exit the most populated prison in the entire world. Max Lucado says this, the facility has more inmates than bunks. More prisoners than plates. More residents than resources. Come with me to the world's most oppressive prison. Just ask the inmates and they'll tell you. They are overworked and underfed. Their walls are barren. Their bunks are hard. No prison is so populated, none so oppressive. And what's more, no prison is so permanent. Most inmates never leave. They never escape. They never get released. They serve a life sentence in this overcrowded, underprovisioned facility. The name of the prison, you'll see it over the entrance. Rainbowed over the gate of the fork are the four cast iron letters that spell out its name. W-A-N-T. Want. They don't want much. They just want one thing. One new job. One new car, one new house, one new spouse, just one. And when they have the one, they'll be happy, right? When they have the one, they'll leave the prison. But then the one comes and it happens. The new car smell passes. The new job gets old. The new spouse gets fat. I threw that in there. The sizzle experiences fizzle. And another ex-con breaks parole and remains in jail. Are you in that prison? Do you base your joy and your happiness and your outlook on the things you have or the things that this world can give you or that this the people in this world can provide for you? If you do, you're a prisoner. And David said, I've been to that prison. And I found out there's a secret to breaking out. I discovered the secret to contentment in any and all circumstances in life. And he says this, I want to give you the key. And I want to give you three keys that David captures in this psalm. Number one, first thing that he's capturing 
is the stuff that we want is not ours. The stuff that we want is not ours. Ask any coroner. Ask any embalmer. Ask any funeral home director. No one takes anything with them. When the wealthiest man in history, outside of the Bible, by the way, John D. Rockefeller died, his accountant was asked, how much did he leave? His accountant's response, all of it. Because you can't take not a little penny with you. There is no U-Haul that gets to go to heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 15 says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and everyone comes, as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. You know what? If I was God, I let people go in the rapture based on their desire. And you know what would happen as people felt the pull to go? They'd be like, hold on God. They run back, they get their jewelry. Like, I'm ready now, God. They'd run back, they get their car. Okay, I'm ready now, God. They'd run back, they stuff their pockets with their money from their bank account or in their drawer or under their match- mattress or in the pipes of their house. Say, Pastor, you got money in the pipes. See, we're Italian. We put it everywhere. <laughs> See, you got to understand that you can't take it with you. And this is not the person who just said what I just read is not the richest man to ever live according to world history, but according to Bible history. It's Solomon who said this. Solomon had everything that you can imagine. He had, you name it, he had it. He looked back on the end of life as somebody who had everything. He said, it's all meaningless. We work all our lives to acquire stuff. And listen, I am all for the blessings of God. Make no mistake about it. I'm blessed coming, blessed going, blessed every way you can be blessed. But here's what I understand. Jesus is greater than any blessing that I could ever possess. We can't take it with us. Because it's not ours. It's God's. Psalm 50 verse 7. Hear me, O people. And I will speak, O Israel. And I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. All the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields. They're mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Friends, it's not ours. It's God's. Shepherd means owner. We said it last week. God's not our manager. He's our owner. Everything we have comes from him. We are stewards. He is the Lord and he is the owner. The first key to getting out of the prison of want is to realize that the stuff we want is not ours. It's God's. Don't hoard it. Steward it. Don't keep it. Give it. Don't put you and yours first. Put God first in it. It's called tithing. The first 10% belongs to him. Why? Because the stuff we want is not ours. And when we make it, our key in life, we stay in a prison of want. Number two, second key to getting out. The stuff we want is not us. It's not ours, but then number two, it's not us. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. The message version says, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. You are more than what you have. Your possessions do not define you. You're not important because the size of your bank account or the size of your house or the clothes you wear or the cars you drive. Thank God for nice things, but that's not who you are. Heaven doesn't recognize you by outward stuff. Heaven recognizes you by what's on the inside of you. That's why God told Samuel to anoint David because David was a man after God's own heart. You are not defined by what you have, but by whose you are. You are valuable not because of the treasure you possess but because of the treasure you are you are God's son and God's daughter God's masterpiece God's beloved God's family God's heir made in God's image you are the pearl of great price to God you are the apple of God's eye and David would say I'm his sheep that's who I am your value is the blood of Jesus your significance is your sonship Jesus is telling us what David is revealing to us The stuff we want is not us. If you define yourself by what you have, you will be forever locked away in the prison of want and forever chasing the next one thing to determine your value. By the way, as soon as Jesus says life does not consist of what you have, he tells us the parable of the rich fool who dies, and Jesus asks him the question, then whose things will they be? And so in one full swoop, Jesus is telling us how to escape the prison of want. He's saying, number one, the stuff is not ours. Can't take it with you. Number two, the stuff is not us. Life is not defined by what you have. But then number three, David declares the key, the ultimate key to getting out of the prison of want. Understanding that having Jesus is greater than stuff. As much as we love Jesus... As much as we worship Jesus, as much as we say Jesus is our everything, let's be real. Our lives get turned upside down when stuff happens to our stuff. That's powerful right there. Our lives get turned upside down when stuff happens to our stuff. When our worldly security and worldly affections are interrupted, our joy becomes corrupted. Whether it's job-related, whether it's financial-related, relationship-related, kid-related, marriage-related, our joy and contentment is corrupted when our stuff is interrupted. It's not natural for us to tie our contentment to Christ, which is why Philippians 4 verse 11, the apostle Paul said, For I have learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content. I've learned whatever the state is, whatever the situation is, I'm good. I'm good whether I've got much or I got little. I'm good whether I'm rich or poor. I'm good whether I'm healthy or sick. I'm good whether my marriage is good or my marriage is on the rocks. I'm good whether my loved ones are with me or whether they're not with me. I'm good whether my job is going good or I'm being phased out. I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to be at rest and at peace independent of my circumstances. I've learned for it to be well with my soul no matter what my state How is that possible? 
Pastor, how is that possible when I'm unemployed, when I can't pay the bills, when I'm going through a divorce, when I lose a loved one, when I have a child who is wayward? How do I do that? How do I base my contentment in Christ? That, that's not normal. Years ago, God taught me this. Years ago, and I've told this story, I won't get into details, but I'll tell you something that God taught me. Years ago, a friend of mine stole everything from me. I was a victim of fraud. I I lost everything, lost my house that my family grew up in, lost all my wealth that I had accumulated up to that time. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I was losing my mind. And I was losing my mind because stuff happened to my stuff. Could you, could you imagine that? I look back and I think, how superficial. I was literally losing my mind because stuff happened to my stuff. And I cried out to God, sleepless night after sleepless night, God, I need you to do a miracle. God, I need you to do a miracle. And night after night, I heard nothing. Zero. Night after night until one night, God spoke and he said, I'm the miracle that you long for. I'm the miracle that you need. And and what God was saying to me is before I do a miracle for you, I need you to see me. I need you to see me. I need you to see me and me alone as the miracle you already have in your life. Before I do the miracle, you need to see me as the miracle. Matter of fact, looking back now, I realize the reason why God was silent for so many nights was because I was asking God to fix my stuff with a greater desire than I was asking God to be real in my life. My passion was fix the stuff, fix the stuff, fix the stuff, fix the stuff. And God was silent. You know what? He was giving me the opportunity to reset my focus. Oh, this is so good. Why is God silent sometimes when we're asking for stuff with a passion that God has never seen us ask him for just to be in his presence? God is like, let me just stay still. Let me see if they figure this out on their own. By the way, the older your kids get, the more you just stay silent. Let them try to figure it out on their own, don't you? Hello? Hello? And if you don't, guess what? You're going to have problems. He doesn't look, look, I'm going to just shh, let them figure this one out on their own. God was silent. Interestingly enough, God spoke after one night while I was worshiping. And I used to, my favorite song to worship to years ago was a song. It's called, Lord, I Want to Know You. And it goes like this. <clears throat> no, just playing. <laughs> The lyrics are, Lord, I want to know you. In my heart, there is a fire. Every morning when I wake up, it's you that I desire. Just to heal your heartbeat is what I long for. Oh, Lord, I want to know you more. And in the midst of my crying out, I just started singing that over and over and over and over and over again. And after sleepless night, after sleepless night, not hearing God, after not hearing God, then God spoke and he said, I'm the miracle you long for. I'm the miracle you need. What God was saying to me is this. I am greater than anything you can have in your life. I am your happiness. I am your joy. I am your peace. I am your help. I am your hope. I am your provider. I am your protector. I am your husband. I'm your 
your father. I'm your wisdom. I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. I'm your comfort. I'm your rest. I'm your life. I'm your source. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. God was teaching me what David was telling me. That says the Lord is our shepherd. He's all we should want. That's where our contentment should come from. We should realize that it's in him where there's fullness of joy. It's in him where there's peace that passes all understanding. David was saying, I shall not want anything more than you. Philippians 3.8, the apostle Paul put it like this. He said, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Can I translate dung? That I might win Christ. And literally when Paul said this, he was standing in dung. He was in a a prison where there was sewage up to here on him shackled and looking around. And here's what he was saying as he was in prison. Looking back on his life, he was saying, I've been beaten several times. I've been left for dead. I've lost my clout and prestige as a member of the Sanhedrin. Evidence is that he lost his marriage when he gave his life to Jesus because his wife was an avid Jew and all of a sudden he was a follower of Christ. He lost all his friends. He suffered hunger. He had been shipwrecked. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was rejected by the disciples. He experienced disloyalty from his own preaching, from his own people. And now for preaching the gospel... For following Jesus, he's standing in dunk. And instead of him saying, I give up on my faith. Instead of him saying, if this is the way it's going to be, why should I follow Jesus? You know what Paul did? He looked around and he said, I do it all again. I give it all up. I give everything. I make every single decision that I've made. I lose everything that I've lost because in the process, nobody said, notice what he said. I won Christ that I might win Christ. In the original language, it literally means jackpot. In other words, in the process of all of the stuff that is happening to me on this journey of losing all of these things, all this stuff, I hit the mother load. I got Jesus. I shall not want. He is better than anything. That I can ever have. He's saying Jesus is greater than money and health and wealth and marriage and kids and husband and wife and jobs and influence and power and prestige and houses and land. The Apostle Paul was saying what David is saying to us. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. If it's health or Jesus... Jesus. If it's wealth or Jesus, Jesus. If it's marriage or Jesus, Jesus. Watch this, watch this. If it's kids or Jesus, see, see, I just hit the brakes. Somebody just. If it's kids or Jesus, Jesus. If it's job or Jesus, Jesus. If it's promotion or Jesus, 
Jesus. If it's fame or Jesus, Jesus. Now here's the good thing. Truth of the matter is, you really don't have to choose. Truth of the matter is, when Jesus is first, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these other things. But if it has to be one or the two, Jesus. It's not natural. To put your contentment in Christ. But it is nurtured. This I shall not want comes out of a relationship that is nurtured with the Lord. A leper met a missionary, or I should say a missionary met a leper on the island of Tobago. The missionary was leading worship in this leper colony, and he asked if anyone had a favorite song. And when he did this leper, this woman with the most disfigured face he had ever seen, no nose, no ears, no lips, raised her fingerless hand and asked, could we sing? Count your many blessings. He started to play, and he couldn't finish. And someone said to him later, I suppose that you'll never be able to sing that song again. He said, no, no, I'll sing it, but I'll never sing it the same way. What was the leper saying? Nose or Jesus? Jesus. Ears are Jesus, Jesus. Fingers are Jesus, Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. One Puritan sat down to eat a meal of bread and water. He bowed his head and declared, all this and Jesus too. What was he saying? If it's Bread or Jesus? Jesus. If it's water or Jesus? Jesus. If it's steak or Jesus? Jesus. If it's lobster tail or Jesus? Jesus. If it's fettuccine Alfredo or Jesus? That's a tough one. Jesus. Jesus. It was what God was asking me in that moment. Would you rather have me? Or would you rather have all your stuff? It's what God was asking Paul. It's what God was asking David. It's what they're declaring to us. And in this final hour, God's asking us, would you rather have Jesus than silver and gold? Would you have rather have Jesus than riches untold? Would you rather have Jesus than houses or land? Are you willing to be led by his now pierced hand? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather by his nail-pierced hands Than to be a king of a vast domain And be held in sin's way I'd rather have Jesus than This world affords today And to be a king of a vast domain And be 
just something we sing and get emotional about, but not something we really mean. Can I tell you, I'm a little concerned because COVID has exposed what people want more than anything else. It's exposed. They're talking about church across the United States and the world never being the same. They're talking about the scoreboard having changed. And now the vast majority of people will watch online for three minutes at a clip while they're eating a donut and yelling at the kids and not paying attention. They're talking about that. And I'm wondering, is it true? Because I know when we sing, I'd rather have Jesus. Something goes off in our heart. But is what goes off in our heart enough to motivate our lives? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come on, come on. I want you to say it with me. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Slow, slow, slow. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shh. Did you hear that? I think I did. It was a prison door. Open it up. Would you stand to your feet? Jesus, we are here. Father, we are here. We are here. And the words of this psalm speak to us even today. Written by a shepherd boy that became a shepherd king. To allow us to understand who you are in our lives. Written by somebody who had experienced it all. All the good and all the bad of life and the palaces of life and yet he says he chooses not to desire anything more than you Father as we embark upon this new season this post COVID season Father my prayer is that we would not want anything more than you that we would truly mean what we sing I'd rather have Jesus and silver and gold. Father, my prayer right now is that you would touch the heart of any person that is far from you. Any person who is far from you just in priorities alone. Any person who is far from you in relationship. Father, I pray that you draw them close to you. Father, I pray right now for any person that's here that doesn't know you as Savior. 
that doesn't know what would happen to them if they died this moment or this second, where they'd spend eternity. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know what would happen to you if you left this earth. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants to take you home to heaven safely when you do depart this earth. And if you're here and you need salvation, you need to be forgiven of your sins with no one looking around, just put your hand up and I'm going to pray for you. If you're watching at home, if you're watching at one of our campuses and you need to surrender your life to Jesus, even there, raise your hand. Come on, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Father, right now, say it with me. Father, right now, we come to you. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent of them. And I ask that you would make me your child as I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. I know most people here tonight, I know most of you by face, that prayer wasn't for you, but maybe it was for somebody that was out there. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, gave his life for you. We want to help you. Reach out, just hit that little button that says, I gave my life to Jesus.